My name is Oscar Tseberth, host and producer of New Music Edmonton's The No Normal Podcast. Welcome to this special episode for the Winter Solstice 2020. New Music Edmonton respectfully acknowledges that this celebration of creativity is being brought to you from Treaty 6 territory, Amiskwichi, Wiskigan, the traditional gathering place of the many Indigenous peoples whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence and enrich our community. The cold weather and long nights are upon us, and as we settle in and accept the winter's presence as we inevitably do, NME has something special for you. Three newly commissioned works combining spoken word performances with original music. The pieces will be presented as a complete, uninterrupted set on this podcast, with just a few moments of ambient sound separating them. The works you will hear are Longing for You by Nisha Patel and Aruma Nyonga, From Foreign by Dwenemin and Mustafa Rafiq, and Hunger, Prayer, Rot by Brandon Wint and Adam Sekeli. More information about the works and artists will be available on our website, newmusicedmonton.ca, and in the podcast details. Thank you for joining us and for your ongoing support and interest in New Music Edmonton and the phenomenal artists who share their work with us. We hope you enjoy this coming together of winter words and solstice sounds. thinking about me after the first night I drove you home because you didn't say a single thing even as I asked you 20 and as the music played I didn't stop to breathe once a rhythm of words and glances between us that built into a melody for months uncurling in the air when we spoke I've recognized you in my own shadow before we ever touched felt like I could have lived forever in the front seat of my Acura as long as you were there next to me. And thank God you never learned to drive. Every night when you left the car, I recited reasons to make you stay, rehearsed questions in the rearview mirror on the way home. I reassembled your laughter from memory, the way it starts out as a chord in the tone of your voice before cascading into a murmur, then a ripple, then an ocean. I felt the heat of my body melt into it like a sunset. I've never been appreciative of a breathless giggle, never been so impatient with the slow growth of our entangling ivy, never heard music leap from the background until I met you until I tapped the steering wheel to the pulse between us, 
how hungry I was to learn you, to feel you in both hands. I wanted you unspeakably from thigh to thigh. And as we aged by the day, I knew our alphabets were reshuffling, trading in tiles for blanks, throwing out last names in favor of firsts, and then throwing out firsts in favor of none. And I still remember when I lost my hello to a moment, when seeing you walk towards my car felt less like prom and more like a homecoming. And for me, it was clear that our night stopped ending at the door when I stopped speeding on the drive home just so that I'd get the chance to see you again. And our voices took on a new language, new words we couldn't pronounce out loud. Talk of boys dying in the grass outside your building. Talk of other girls long gone. Just us. And our tongues. Lying to each other about what was really happening. My best friend called it a replacement. As if you'd resembled anything I'd ever experienced before. We were trapped between the heat vents and then the air conditioning for weeks. I'd swore four years ago that I wasn't ready for love or boys again, especially not ones who wrote poetry or Shakespearean sonnets. And I think in retrospect the sonnets don't matter because I don't plan on reading them. I think what matters is that everyone saw it coming but us, that we were stupid but smart enough to invent ways to fall in love without labeling it, like when I left you in Edmonton and missed you in New York or when you left me in a church to fight climate change and all I thought of was you, or when I threw a party just to kiss you and we still didn't. Loving you through the spring felt like blooming, my body a tightly knotted bud, and your eyes tiny suns that gave me reason enough to reach, my unfolding Holy, your doing. But loving you in the summer was like touching the bottom of sandy water, complete and sensational lightness, with only the silica of sponges to ground me. And I could have sworn I was made of water from the moment we stared too long across a table, because I had no way of stopping my body from sweating for you every day and night afterwards. No way to keep the chaos of the one time we touched hands in June, and I'd wanted to set myself on fire. I hoped for weeks that you wouldn't notice the way I had to breathe slowly when I started picking you up too, or the way our friends became increasingly less reliable and more absent, how I stopped inviting the others because the others weren't you, how that one haircut made me so shy I barely looked at you for hours, drinking your favorite wine in my own house. And I remember every moment I didn't kiss you better than the last year of moments where I did. Because isn't desire a type of moment too? Doesn't it deserve a name? Or a day of the week? Maybe Sunday, where we sat in a cafe, watched our friend play zookeeper for a day, or Wednesday, when I wore socks with two mismatched heights in front of the mare, 
and not a single person, including you, had the decency to tell me. Or maybe Tuesday, where we met in my worst outfit and your favorite color, both of us hat people at the time, sharing our love of sound and song on a stage that flattered no one. And I think the thing about love at first sight is that October 30th was just another day of the week. That if you'd told me that I'd have the power to change my life in the 100 days between me falling in love with you and our first kiss, I might have believed it. But I don't think that's true. I think lies are only lies if someone believes them and that I've been telling the truth from the start. The octopus has such a brief life, but full, crowding into spaces you would not believe a living thing would want to embody, like doubt and darkness. They are lonely except for a moment of touch. And baby, I know that I've been lonely every moment you weren't mine. So let's have just one moment to start off all our moments. See what happens if we squeeze into the backseat of my car once more. first time we danced, we should have been in a ballroom or a one-act, not a galley kitchen built in the 70s, which is my way of saying that every moment with you is an epiphany, every moment with you is a spotlight, a monologue made of heartbeats, every moment with you is a Christopher Nolan car chase, a well-timed explosion a kiss going backwards and forwards in time, better than nine in every ten fringe plays. Every moment is a roll off a moving train, into soft grass and an English moor, as we both escape what we would have become before we'd met. And sometimes your smile is a doorway in a tree of the hundred-acre woods, and following you feels more a matter of necessity than any willful act of defiance I've ever known. And I wish there was a word for longing that didn't feel so finite. A word that encompasses the way you and I become so much of each other when we're together. That any moment we're apart defies Bernoulli's principle. We are liquid when we touch. And when we touch, I need you like I need the water in a warm bath or a bowl of shin ramen. And all you need to know is that if I knew how to dance at all, I would have written you a novel instead of a poem, convinced an entire village to host a ball at Netherfield Park in your welcome. And although our story will never be published, I am free, knowing it requires no editing, only ink sheds smolderings of all our seconds and seconds and if I had breathed for even a second the first time we kissed I would have remembered something other than your name like mine 
and the way it finally found a page in history when you said it out loud that first time. And I know I felt momentous because the wind blew. I felt the beetles at our feet swim faster. I felt the pond inhale next to us. I felt like a dream, caught in sunlight, made visible when it heats the earth. I am something made of orange and blue. I burn from the inside when you touch me, each finger a candle in a firefight. You and I, setting ourselves alight over and over again. I'm a Turkish chimera on a mountain I climbed seven years before we met, and making it to the top instead of falling that day felt like a big deal. I said no the first time you asked me out, and it's because I wanted to prove something stupid about being alone. And it didn't work out at all, and I'm sorry I was scared then, and I'm sorry I feared that you'd do something unforgivable and permanent and life-altering like let me love you the way I've been afraid of loving you for years before you came into my life. And in my defense, I was right about the fact that loving you is exactly what Call Me Maybe would feel like if it was a poem. Loving you is the way I smile when I touch the crust of your ear as you sleep, or the way I feel when I know you're listening to me work through a bad metaphor before I hit a good one. And I think I'm 14 years late, but I finally understand Christian rock. Loving something so much you write about it even when no one else cares. And I want to spend my next decade being loved like you want to love me, with my hands in yours, eyes open, no regard for salt or skin, the way we're tide pools holding and releasing with the mood of the moon. I want to spend my next decade embarrassing our friends, forgetting how to socialize. And what I'm trying to say is that I love you so much that I want Robin to dance at our wedding and then never dance again. I want Francis and the lights to retire. I want Elton John to go on a farewell tour. And personally, I don't care what the others will do to us when they find out it's our fault. Because I'd like to think they'd be happy, that they'd want what we want, that they'd buy as many matching shirts with my face as we have. And if that isn't revolution, then what is revolution supposed to be? Are we not bursting stars on the verge of becoming black holes, holding everything close until it is too much, without ever realizing? I was incapable and clumsy before you, so take who I was before you, and we'll forgive her together. We'll show her there's something bigger than the slits and the scars and the wizards and their castles eating hearts Show me your hips and your comically small inseams and we'll take our Sundays and our mini waffles and our crooked stacks of poetry books and give them a future. Take my hand, take me lifeline to knuckle and say yes, quietly and then loud and all at once. And I promise you that in the next lifetime when we meet, as two shrimp in a Venus flower basket, 
under the deep sea. It will be a privilege, as it's always been, to see you again. I am a no place, a landscape of unknown that lives in the old place at the end of the road, ominous with the folklore. I lend out its bones, the marrow of truth, the pit of ripe fruit, the pith of some problem pulled from the roots. For the festering pain it wrecks like a nuisance tooth. Standing on my own too, I inspect flecks of truth, build and bust open in hottest pursuit of the love of my life, the end of the night, the homely
priceless. My citizenship is tied to a missing birth certificate. I flinch at the slight weight of the document, but balk at the crushing significance of its absence. Passport stamped with proof that I've been back to the land crisp Canadians want me to go back to. Island Tings. I let the storm of disdain in and aim the vitriol of complaint right back at them. They who crinkle noses and harangue with relayed slates reproduced like Morse code flung across so-called empty space to land and take root in the expectations of other fair weather friends. My mission is too occupied with feigning a crinkle-nosed facade, a hope of belonging by getting to know the parts of speech that warrants turning the neck up and back to thwart the smell of foreign storms. The language leaves me nothing. I've lost the tongue that could call me before I even held its bloody heft in my hand. While white pop radio poets stake a claim to offering legitimate angst, I live in the bog of loss, monstrous and cross. Butchers of the land claimed hand over fist, so my soft hands resist with typescript blips that stir the need to scream incantation for the protection all the saviors could never afford me.
rebuttal. I was born in the place where I took on faith. Proof lies below the surface of this statement. By my certificate of baptism, I am confirmed guilty of the omission of my true nature. Shima Aisha Robinson. Though I found some of it in the first sight of the inscription of my father's full name last night, child of Anthony Percival Witter. Love grew me from seed to infant breathing deeply in a West Edmonton hospital. And Elsa Yvonne Robinson, my mother's language, her voice, rising with the spirits of another land from the life of her belly, born at Edmonton, Alberta, was the only clarion call I ever heeded. On December 28, 1984, was this day received as I never wished to be, into the Holy Catholic Church by baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I am loath to know those three at Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I was eight years into the deficit and still had no notion of why it was important. September 26, 1993. This is Dominion Rule, direct from St. Paul's United Church, banished forever from the confines of sanctified Sunday school in a congregation of the United Church of Canada long before I would ever have the damning proof of voluntary belonging. Signed, sealed, delivered by Reverend Dr. Gordon J. Oakes, Minister. Reverend Jeff Chalonet, Marina Plews, Clerk of Session. So I still don't believe in Jesus, nor do I know what is absolutely true.
But here I am, not yours, truly. waiting face in a dream of solemnity that could transform my place from the spot I've been set on to ruminate on this plot to the hot homeland I've longed for and forgotten. After years spent waiting for songs to end and friends to come alive, filled with inspiration for the project of excavating lies, pieces of broken soul that litter our hearts' delights. I have felt the pull of a seal, the only gold star that ever counted as a voucher for a living, a lifeline, a mission characterized by shine. The griffin, the gorgon, the glad one, important to take seriously. I woke from a feverish dream, clawing at the comfy surround, Canadian bound, by education, a light on pagan wings, crashing through the symbolism of noble beast, ravenous for my due, trampling the foundation placed askew, 
on the edge of a tipping point. The precipice, the precious gift, the pin prick in my jaw joints that remind me of a history of broken bone to pick through in search of trace evidence of yellow humors. Sulfurous remedies needed. Bring out your dead rumors. White men that made plans to anoint the names of stolen kin with confirmations of capitulations from within that feed children and safeguard the records of my passing through the universal gates to the knowledge base that robs me of my own stories, my sense of being safe. Gambling with the devils of my history in the making, I place this token for the win and claim an alma mater's grace. Stamped into the degree given to my emancipation name, Robinson B.A.
that study the hunger of flames, the elm gorged without apology, the way, after six weeks of raging, there are no words left for red, orange. We look upon the entire lit coast, the new flagless country of incinerated wings and birches, and say fire, say spark, as though we believe we can snuff it between two callous fingers, poised at the end of a cigar. The sky is a cardinal's flightless wing, blood loosed into a vial of river water. The horizon keeps no time, only coughs the synonyms it has for flame. This is how we lose the word for hour, the word for day. Still, we have morning. When it comes, my wife peels the white curtain from the window and reports the view. Crushed saffron inferno, lilium petal flare, spilled wine blades, pyre of peach rind, fig seed hurt, swirls of wind, embers like koi fish, glimmering through rungs of smoke-thick air. Some die behind the white oven, squealing like broken alarms. Most scurry through the ribs of the kitchen, jet at night through the leaden pipes like gray water. I turn them to water, yes, so that I can sleep as the pear tree dies without stirring. Rain batters its slick trunk, its burnt orange leaves curled around wind like fingers of an atrophied hand. Let rain come like 3,000 rodents fingering the hinges of my front door. My eyes are already darting beneath their lids, 
my lover's arms slung across my sleeping waist. In dreams, I am already a student of water. I fill my father's garden with roses, balance crescents of fecund dirt under my fingernails. I have been the storm, pelting the sea where my grandfather's ashes are spread. I've doused my head in the salt water where his youngest face was washed. I am sleeping, yes, in a dream of rain, swimming as easily as salt and blood through my body's history. stranger's blood is loose in my breakfast banana behind the tennis court and gull-eaten beach bodies molder in cells and sleeping bags concrete and the shade of apple trees now that it is autumn and sidewalks are not strewn with crushed blackberries I cannot shake the scent of copper and nickel from my nostrils. Dark roast leaks from the windows of empty cafes, mixes with the smell of moneyed air. Downtown, hotel corridors flood with the amber glint of chandeliers. Downtown, avenues are chewed by sirens. Downtown, I sign my lease with sweat. Landlord requests my grandma's photo album as a damaged deposit. I pay rent with a photocopied ultrasound tacked above my bed. Decay, too, is a sign of life. How else to explain the water of my toothbrush? Rank, metallic with lead, and scaling the walls of my bathroom, egg laying in my radiator. What some claim to know of God, even before love, is perfection. Show me the divine in this rot, lest I make struggle holy. The benediction I want is a royal bank gutted by persimmon flame. The city festered open, the bruise of a still sweet plum.
Today, on the anniversary of his assassination, the FBI honors the life, work, and commitment of Dr. Martin Luther King to justice. FBI official Twitter account, April 2019. Brutality is a spectacle of my generation. We make war in boardrooms, playgrounds, message boards, video games, and pornography everywhere else. I give my evenings to the carmine of cage fights, my Sundays to the balletic concussions of wide receivers, how men become weapons. LeBron James is a bullet in China, the sweat of his purple and gold jersey, a prison in Beijing. Kaepernick is kneeling in Wisconsin, still in Baltimore, San Francisco, waiting for Jay-Z to pen a protest song, Nike to bust a policeman's lip. How men become machines, fix their surnames to the last bottle of drinkable water, paint penitentiary bars another shade of gunmetal gray, say, these black people need new t-shirts to go with their rubble, a jingle for their burial, boom boxes for their disappearances, podcasts to megaphone into the hood. How else will they choreograph the next incantation, keep their ancestors woke? To read a tweet on his death anniversary is to think MLK wiped blood from a bullet and handed it back to the FBI as a trinket. Where in the flea market of heaven do I get a second body, become my own weapon? I need my replicas to haunt John A. McDonald's statues, to spit when Trudeau weeps. I need to march during work hours. I need to keep my job. The way an empire needs blood, but still makes its anthem beautiful. If a bomb falls in the city and no one is around to tweet about it, does it make a sound? Don't make this about me. I signed a petition online. I know, not doing enough. I wrote the emperor a letter, stitched thoughts and prayers into a body bag by hand.